Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. Yes, if you didn't hear coloring pages anytime you want in the service, if you feel like moving around, if you feel like coloring, we're just taking it all in today. This week is, it's a heavier subject, so welcome anyone who's here um, online for the first time or joining us. We have been going through the book of Exodus, and so today we are in our final plague. Now this week marked the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War. Was, it was a situation where there was a lot, one of those conflicts that was highly debated and contested. It was a time after the attacks of 9-11, and so America was, was real defensive, was real ready to, to protect um, U.S. citizens. But in hindsight, some people had some big critiques. Former General William Odom called it the, the greatest strategic disaster in U.S. history. Uh, Senator Chuck Hagel, who along with President Biden both voted for the war, he looked back and said it was a dangerous foreign policy blunder. So it was like, that's, there's been some bigger critiques going on. And I think that no matter what our feelings are on a particular conflict, anytime you approach something in this manner where there is a, there is a leader who is harming and you have to make a decision on how to address that harm, there's always going to be the question of, is the cost worth it? Because even doing an initiative that's good and that brings freedom and that brings healing and that's the goal is to free people from a harsh regime, there's still a cost because the people going in to do that service are putting their lives at risk. I have my own feelings. I don't, I don't even like to watch war movies. I don't like, I don't like dwelling on it and thinking about it. It's just like the, like the biggest philosophical trolley question of all, right? Like that scenario. And I cannot imagine having to make such a decision. That's why I'm not in that kind of a field. But in such moments, what is needed is a leader who respects life before risking death because that's what you want to hope for. That's what you want to choose in your leaders, is someone that looks around beyond themselves, beyond an immediate reaction, thinks about all of the possibilities, and decides with care. So what we're looking at today, it's it's a tricky piece of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 11 is where we'll be. And in this, lives are going to be lost. And I believe what working through this scripture, working through the Bible, dwelling on this passage, that we serve a God who does respect life, even while allowing the consequences of death. So that is where we are. We are in the book of Exodus, and it's, that's in the Old Testament portion of our Bibles. If you are following along and you want to pull up on your devices, or if you grab a pew Bible, it's page 47 today. But this is a place where it's like 1,500 years before Jesus 
came to earth. So that's where we are in an ancient timeline. And God's people, Israel, were living in Egypt. That was not their home, but they had gone there because there was a famine. But the reason why they had a connection to Egypt was harm, harm in their past. Because 10 brothers sold Joseph, their brother, into slavery, and he ended up in Egypt. But because he was there, God redeemed that story. And when Israel had no food, they moved to Egypt in order to be provided for. And Joseph forgave his brothers. And that was all happy and wonderful, and then generations passed. And then Pharaoh, we don't even know his name, we don't know which Pharaoh, we're not even like giving him that consideration, decided that all the people living in his land that he's supposed to care for, they are living there. These immigrant people who've come here have now grown, and that is a threat. And so he decides to make commands of how can we decrease the population? How can we make sure they're not going to take over? And so he commands death for children. And yet we met Shifra and Pua, brave midwives who refused the, the Pharaoh's command. And so people were rebelling. But God, God heard because these Israelite people, his people that he had redeemed, had a plan for, they were crying out in pain, saying, we're dying, we're being harmed, we're being oppressed. He's, they're trying to physically push us so hard that we cannot survive. And we, we heard that God listened, and he was making a plan. And it's, there was some time that passed, some decades that passed, but Yahweh is the Lord's name. And he reintroduced himself to Moses and said, you, I'm going to partner with you and your brother Aaron, and we're going to go speak truth to power. We're going to go force this Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, to finally let my people go. So that's the journey we've been on. And we said that this rescue plan involved 10 final chances. And that's a positive way of saying the things that we know as the 10 plagues for any of us who've grown up in church. It's also a word in the original language that can say strikes, 10 strikes. But we looked and, and we said that every time we read through all of these plagues, we found that Yahweh was giving another chance. And he was continuing the conversation because he cares just as much about those Egyptians made in his image as he did the Israelites. And he was trying to get them to see who he was as well. And he wants everyone's spiritual rescue, but we've come to the final one. And Yahweh has allowed the natural world to come through and, and the frogs and the gnats and, the, and all of these things that happen in the natural world, but this one, this one's gonna be hard. And so I'm going to read for us in Exodus chapter 11 today, and we're going to dig in a few verses at a time. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt 
by Pharaoh's officials, and by the people. Now, this is an interesting piece of the story, and we kind of went through it quickly before, but back at the burning bush, when Yahweh introduces himself to Moses and tells him, lays out the plan for him, he says this. He predicts that this is going to happen. He, warn, he tells Moses in Exodus 3 that he's going to, you're going to ask your neighbor, and they're going to give you, they're just going to hand you their stuff. And so I think it's an interesting way because God is providing for people because if they are going to leave, they have been in slavery for generations. I don't know how much stuff they would have owned or how much they would have been able to keep on their own. Were they ever able to make a living wage, right? Like there's, there's these things that they needed. If you were going to leave, God was like, I gotcha. I found a way to provide for you. And he did it in such a nice way, like that the Egyptians were just like, Yes, I do like you. I'm going to hand you my stuff. There's no robbery here. There's no, but yet, but yet, the way the Lord had used this word before in Exodus 3, he said, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. It's kind of like, this is the least of which what they owe you, and you're going to take their stuff, but you're, you're going to be good here. Let's keep reading in verse 4 of chapter 11. This is Moses going to speak to Pharaoh. This is what Yahweh says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. But there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites... Not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All those officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, Go, you and all your people who follow you, and after that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. All right, that's a lot to take in. Um, Hardest probably because the wording used here indicates that it was probably a lot of children who died. And that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Firstborn, we keep seeing this term, firstborn. And let's, let's look at this culturally. So the firstborn males in this culture were the ones who took on the inheritance, and we might, have, we might have heard that before, that like they got the bigger portion, and then there was the rest of the kids. But there was more than that. There was more significance, because there was this honor, but there was a responsibility. Like, as the firstborn, you now carried the family name. You also took possession and responsibility of the land, and land meant a lot in that, land was basically part of their identity. So you were a steward now of your family legacy. And you were supposed to carry this forward, honoring your past, pushing into the future. So there's a special status here, but also a responsibility. Now, notice that uh, back in chapter four, Yahweh said to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. So that's interesting. So God is trying to say that I am treating this entire people group in the way that a family would treat a firstborn. What does that mean? 
He's like, I am choosing to make myself known to the world, and I'm going to do so through this people group, through this family that has grown into a nation. And in the same way that a family would say, this is my firstborn son carrying on this legacy for our family, Yahweh says, I'm placing on this people an honor, a special title, and a responsibility that I want my name, my goodness, my holiness, my love and benevolence to go out into the world, and I am designating Israel as the one to go do that for me. And he says, in chapter four, he said, I told you, let my son go, my firstborn son go, Israel, so that they may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. So that had been the warning that Yahweh gave to Pharaoh. And we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but he's had all these moments to say, that is the end result if you don't humble yourself and just just care about these people under your leadership to just stop harming, to just let them go be free. And yet Pharaoh refused. So as much as my mind zeroes in on all that death, and then what's implied in here that they've kind of put aside is that for 430 years, there's been a people who have been harmed And we know at least for the last 80, because when the one Pharaoh said, kill all the male babies who are born, throw them into the Nile, we don't ever know if that was retracted, but that was the general attitude toward a people group, that they were actively being killed and that they were being pushed to the brink in their work, hoping that they would just die. Like this was an active harmful zone. So that is what's all been happening to God's firstborn. And so here in this final plague, what I notice is two things. Number one, Yahweh didn't act right away. And I think that's grace because we think it was 80 years from the time that Moses fled Egypt And he spent time in the desert, and he lived in Midian, and then the Lord called him. So it says that the Lord heard Israel's cry, and then 80 years before Moses went and spoke to Pharaoh. That's a long, a lot more time for suffering, and yet it's also a lot more time for the Egyptians to figure it out, to come around, to stop harming, and to choose righteousness. And so I just feel like this indicates that the Lord is not doing something recklessly, but in a resigned way to know that what Pharaoh is going to need before he will stop harming is he's going to need to have something big happen. And the second thing I have to remember is that even this freedom, because there's because there's brokenness, because they're developed into evil, and because that's all intertwined, that even releasing from freedom, there is a price there. There is a pain there. It's all so ingrained that something's still going to hurt. And I feel like we see that in modern day. We've seen that in our own countries. 
history. We've seen extreme problems, and it takes extreme measures. I was, I was speaking with someone who was trying to write about the time of, of World War II and just what it took for how many countries to come together to stop, to stop death from happening. And then I think about our country fighting one another over the harm of slavery and how that still, there's so much pain and there's still broken systems to this day that resonate from just how harsh and evil that was, we're still feeling the remnants. Even finding some freedom still has lingering pain. So that's my perspective I'm trying to bring to reading this here, this ancient story, and yet quite relevant to our lives still. We said a few weeks ago, if something happens and Yahweh has to make a decision that's so severe, what is he trying to protect? And he's protecting his people Israel. And even though they could not enact retributive justice for themselves, Yahweh's trying to bring justice into this situation, even when there's pain. And let's go back to verse 8. If you saw at the end of this, how did Moses feel? <clears throat> Excuse me. He's a spokesperson. He's going to Pharaoh on behalf of God and having to do this hard thing. And with, he's gone before him 10 times now. He's gone to Pharaoh and says, all, look, all you have to do is let us go. And then he watches harm happen. And we can't forget that Moses has a history here. Moses was raised by Egyptians. So I am sure, even in the decades since, he could look out in the country and still have some connections. There's probably people still alive who he knew as he was growing up. And he's looking at them and saying, Pharaoh, you're making a choice that's, now, that's harming your people. Even the people you say you like better than Israel, you were choosing harm for them. And now, in this final one, Moses, it just says he's hot with anger. Like he had to bring this up. He had to be the one to say, this is, this is what you're doing. And he goes from maybe being nervous to talk to Pharaoh and maybe being like sad. And now he's just angry. Like why is it coming to this? But don't forget, Moses his heart is, we said his identity is probably divided, and yet he has this people that he has been asked to represent, his ancestry. And to just watch that conflict, I can't imagine all that's going on in his heart. He has so many different emotions. I am sure he's gone through. And it's the same way that we can go through different emotions as we read scripture together. Let me be honest and tell you, how I've been grappling this week because I've been going back and forth and you think of this harm, but I just keep, I just kept zeroing in on that firstborn. It's just a lot to take in. So I'm just gonna, just gonna honestly share with you my journey. Um, the firstborn son in my family growing up uh, died as a child. This is little me, uh, five years old, holding my baby brother, Brett. I'm the firstborn, but he's the firstborn son. 
He was three months early. His little body never fully developed, especially back, back in the day, the technology that they had. His little lungs just never was quite developed. So he was in and out of the hospital. And at eight months, he passed away. And I asked my parents if I could share that today because when I come to the scripture and I read that, I read it as a five-year-old girl who lost her baby brother. And I, it still hurts. And I can't even imagine what my parents went through. And now as a mom myself who had a preemie baby, I can, I can only empathize from their perspective of that loss. And so this week, I'm just reading this scripture, and I'm like, God, I need to know I can come and, to you and trust you, because this is what I'm reading, and this is what I've gone through. Can I trust you as a sister, as a mother, in this moment? And so maybe you feel this way too. Maybe you read scripture, and you think, but I've I've, I feel this way, and I feel this pain, and I feel this loss. And if you've experienced any loss or separation at all, from a child especially, maybe this, this scripture is hard to read. So here's, here's where I went next. Take this step with me. Let me read you a poem. This is from Touch the Earth by Drew Jackson. It's called A Stone's Throw Away. Have you ever heard the sound of grief? It wrenches the gut open, twists and pulls until every inner organ is exposed. It cuts through the silence with knife-like precision, keeping solace at bay with the tip of its blade. It sounds like exhaustion, like bodily fluids have been lost on the ground, sweat, tears, blood, it sounds like thunder and lightning crashing, a storm of emotion brewing into a hurricane of desire. It sounds like white noise putting me to sleep. I dream as if it does not exist. It sounds like a cry. Keep your distance. A stone's throw away. That, to me, as I'm reading, feels like the cry that had never been heard in Egypt before or never would be heard again. And yet this poem was written about Luke chapter 22 and Jesus' own grief. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus felt the anguish of pending death. He felt it in his body. And he knew it was going to happen to him because he felt it for people. He didn't want us to experience all that separation and loneliness and grief for eternity. And so he stepped in to take on justice. 
in his own body. And so the only way I read Exodus 11 is that I don't stop there. I keep going forward to Jesus. And when I see Jesus laying on the ground in anguish, I remember that's the same Yahweh, Lord God, who was in Egypt. So what if I picture Jesus going and speaking to Moses? How would I hear the tone? I will bring one more plague on Egypt, on Pharaoh. Were there tears in his eyes when he said that? Was there a sigh? And after that, he will let you go. Was Yahweh resigned that that was going to be the only way? Did he have some hidden hope in his spirit that maybe the other nine plagues would work? Yahweh knew that justice for the Israelites couldn't wait a moment longer. But looking at Jesus, I don't think that decision came lightly. So where I landed in my journey reading through was that Yahweh is that leader who does not take death lightly, who respects life, who weighs the cost. And then he cared so much that eventually he just stepped in and said, I'll do it. I'll take it. I'll take the final death. Yahweh, he cares about fighting oppression. And that gives me hope. Because we've all probably sat in the shoes of Israel at some point. Maybe some harm has been done to you. Maybe you felt pushed back, held down, harmed. And Yahweh sees and cares and wants to bring redemption and justice and hope. And he also cares about people so much that he even gives space for the oppressors to find redemption. And that should give me hope too. Because we've all probably also tasted a little of the good life of Egypt. I've benefited from things indirectly, systems that's, that were created to harm others and I've gained from. We've all sat in Egypt's shoes as well, making mistakes and creating harm and brokenness that we had to go heal. So that gives us hope too, that Yahweh cares about the oppressed and the oppressors. Now, I know that people for years didn't have the luxury of looking at Exodus and Luke together, but we do. And so that's how I'm holding things tightly. And it's still not wrapped up in a nice bow. We might all have our feelings to this moment, but it helped me take another step toward, yes, this is a God I can trust. This is a God that I can be honest with and I can breathe toward and I can say I trust you and I just hope that this gives us a, a, a moment to to work on in your own hearts 
And we especially end every service, and especially nice today, to we end with communion because we don't want to forget that the God of all who makes these amazing world, who makes these big decisions, is also Jesus who came to earth to feel what it was like in our bodies and to go and sacrifice himself and to live again so that we have hope to redeem from sin, to have hope to redeem from death one day. So we're going to have a time now and we're going to share in a meal together. And if you'd like to come forward and participate in that with us, we have bread, we have juice, you can take it back to your seats, and we can just commune with God. We can talk to him about his act of justice for us, his act of grace for us. So when you're ready, we're going to have a couple of friends serving, have some music playing, and you can take it back to your seat and have some time to pray. But let's pray together first. Yahweh, thank you for being a creator of life. Thank you for wanting to redeem us from death. And we just come before you and we praise you for your justice. We praise you for your grace and mercy. And we thank you for giving us a visual of that through Jesus. Thanks for giving of yourself. And we come to you now with our hearts and our minds and our souls to you. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.